You're listening to KNON 89.3 FM in Dallas and Fort Worth, the voice of the people. From the 85 Sweet Savage EP, that is Sweet Savage doing cover of Fox on the Run. It's Reckless Rock Radio and 89.3 KNON FM with Big Mix Lee. I'm Spicoli. Welcome back, sir. Oh, hey. You're talking to me. We got a house full. Sir. Sir. Yes. Yeah. Well, you, welcome back to you. Hey, thanks. Yeah. It looks like you uh, had a fantastic little vacation. I recommend everybody get away for at least seven days every now and then. Yeah. I feel like I detoxed of some sort. <laughs> That's probably good. Probably yes. good. Real quick, thanks to uh, John Doolin oh, of the yeah. Saturday Night Blend for filling in for both of us last week. Because the first time in the history of the program, neither one of us was here. Right. I like it. Let's do it again. John, are you available next weekend? (laughs) (laughs) I can go back out of town again. He did a great job. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. Uh, We've got a great show tonight. want to welcome Chris Sheridan from Sweet Savage. Hey, hey, great to be here. Sharif Kamal is here as well. Welcome, sir. I wanted to talk to you for years. One of us needs to change. I know. We show up. I show up at the studio. I'm wearing a Sweet Savage t-shirt, and Spicoli's wearing a Sweet Savage t-shirt, and it's like... I feel left Somebody out. I feel like I'm at me. the prom, and I'm dejected or something. <laughs> it's good to see you. Thank you for being with us oh, tonight. You too. Thanks for having wanted me. wanted to talk to you for years. I'm sad to, uh, that it's under these circumstances, but... Well, better late than it's never. It's a celebration, Correct. too. Correct. You know, celebration. It's, uh, we wouldn't be talking about Joey if he wasn't that cool, if he wasn't that great, if he didn't touch all our lives musically or personally in some way. Absolutely. You met him when you were 12, is that 12. right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Geeky kid with glasses, kind of didn't fit You or him? Oh, me. Oh, you? <laughs> no, no, no. He had long hair and, you know, <laughs> facial hair at 15. You know, he was, he was as cool as a guy, you know, for someone like oh me. Oh, my God. I'm trying to picture Joey with facial hair. Wow. I never well, saw just him. Just a fuzz. A little fuzz patch. A little fuzz thing. patch. Yeah, well, it's because, you know, you could get in at clubs or get some beer or something. <laughs> you, you tried everything you could back then, even when the drinking age was 18, so you could look a little more grown up, I guess. I don't know. But, yeah, 12 years old, we were skateboarding. That's kind of how we met was through wow. skateboarding. And there was this little club in this small town in Ohio where we grew up, and they met down in this parking lot, and I, there may have been adult supervision, I don't know, but there was a <laughs> ramp and some kids with skateboards, and some of us wore pads and helmets, some didn't. And, but Joey was great. He was the first guy to go vertical with our group on a board on a half-pipe ramp, wow. and, uh, and he could do a handstand. He was wow. like, he was the, he was the stuff um, <laughs> in Athens, Ohio, when it came to skateboarding, you know? Wow. And we would listen to rock and roll. We would have we'd blast, like, Double Life Gonzo. Um, it was all that late 70s, you know, Kiss, you know, whatever we could wow. get our UFO hands on. UFO, Thin Lizzy. UFO, yeah, Rush even. We were sort of progressive for, at that time. Man, but, you know, I was a boring 12-year-old. Uh, wow. So you we didn't did skateboard at 12? No, I did nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. <laughs> well, it's all nothing to, to do up there. It's nothing but snow. Yeah, we did a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> did, couldn't you ski or something? Uh-huh. The one time I attempted to ski, I broke two ribs, so no. Anyway, go back. You guys were a lot more fun than I was. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm just going to go home now. Thanks, <laughs> um, Yeah, so we just, you know, we knew we were going to get out of that town. On our skateboarding skills alone, you know, or our charm. There was no industry. It was Appalachia. I mean, we're talking, you know, we're talking Hilljack. So what's the closest city or cities? Well, Columbus, Columbus, Ohio, and it was an hour and a half away. Airport, a mall, 
Uh, you know, Joe was really in the mountains. Oh, like, yeah, did, yeah. Like, did you go exploring in caves or anything? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. There was a creek in the back. There was, you know, cow pastures to ride your mini bike in. I mean, it was, nice. it was a great place to grow up and a great place to be from. But we also knew we had to get out of there. So at one point, we just said, look, why don't we just get some instruments? Why don't we just start playing? We listen to rock all day. We skateboard. We're okay. We have fun. But, you know, we figured it had a better shot <laughs> doing something <laughs> with our lives with playing rock and roll and it worked and Joey and Lane played in high school they would play after the football games this is like 79 so this wow. goes way back you know wow. long before Sweet Savage and we were buds we hung out and let me just uh, give an indication of like what uh, years later I found out how really Please. vital and important and rare that experience was to get a band together with guys you grow up with mm-hmm. You know, my brother and Joey, you know, we were, you know, going through high school and everything. I ran into Eric Singer years ago, and uh, and I asked him, I said, you know, man, that's cool. You've been playing with Cooper and, you know, the Kiss gig for a long time. And, and he goes, yeah, but I never had what you had. And I go, what's that? And he goes, you grew up with these guys. You went to your first concerts together. You saw Bon Scott and ACDC together. You, nice, know? Right. you saw David Lee Roth in 1980 with Van Halen in Cincinnati, the first concert after the Who tragedy, you know. We move out of the house, get drunk, you're getting laid, you're getting, you know, all these rites of passage that are for adolescents, for teenage, for, you know, I'm a boy and I'm a man, you know, you're turning 18, all this stuff, moving out of the house, you know, all these firsts were happening, that's what rock and roll music is all about, it's getting out of the house, it's getting on your own, it's, you know, believing in yourself and getting away from the crowd and finding your own thing, and that's really what we did, and while we were doing that, we were learning our instruments and learning how to write. So it was cool. all together, and that's I just, awesome. you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because that kind of put a different spin on it for me. Like, and, and we did it though, you know, we did it all the way. Absolutely, that's awesome. Yeah. Now you guys decided to form a band. Had y'all? Had you? Is that how it started? You just said, okay, let's form a band. Now I got to learn guitar. Or were you already playing guitar? Well, dabbling. Okay. With that, you know, but it just came. It was just a natural part of it. You know, that's kind of why you wanted to play an instrument. And everybody seemed to have their own thing. I played guitar. There was another guy, Brett Bodine, really, really good guitar player. And uh, and Lane wanted to play bass. He wasn't one of those, like, guitar players as a kid that, you know, oh, there's all these other people that are really good. I'll just play bass. You know, because no one else will do it. You know, no, he set out to play bass. He got a Rickenbacker 2001 or whatever, the Giddy Lee yep. bass. Yep, yep. I mean, he, you know, it was bass. He didn't want to play guitar. He does He, to this day, doesn't play guitar. He's a bass player. Well. Now, did he get into music first, or was this all at the same time? It was kind of all at once. Yeah, yeah. we were listening to music and getting the instruments. And uh, and I was a little younger. I was a couple years younger than those guys, so I kind of hung around them, but I wasn't really playing with them until I got, you know, until I was 18 or something like that. When I was like 14 or 15, and they're 16 and 17. Mm -hmm. That's that's kind of a gap. Was there any one? I was the roadie. Was there any one band that just said, "Okay, this we got to do this"? Any one band that you heard at the time that said, "Okay, I can do this"? If well, they can yeah. do that, I can do this. I'm out there. I'm going to do it. Well, now. you have to see it first. Yeah, you know, it has to be believable. You can pick up any record. You can get at a store, and you know, it's got years and millions of dollars and promotion and all this stuff behind it. And they're a little bit old, but there's this band from Columbus called The Gods. Nice. And oh, yeah. Eric Moore, yeah. you know, The Gods right. are rocking and rolling yes. machine. And they were from Columbus, which was, wow. you know, just yeah. down the road. I mean, it was an hour away, but it was, it was right there. And it's like, these guys are from Columbus. And they're like getting national. Then they got on uh, Casablanca. 
record label, yeah. which was Kiss's label. Yeah, and it was right. the only other band to go on to Casablanca, you know, at the time, yeah. other than Kiss. Right. So it was like a big deal. You know, they're opening up for Blue Oyster wow. Cult, and then we heard about this, and like 14th, it's like, <laughs> didn't they're the, doing uh, it in Ohio, and we can do it too. Didn't like, their singer pull a gun on somebody from Blue Oyster Cult? Did I yeah, hear Buck, that right? Buck yeah, backstage, he wanted to do an encore, and they wouldn't let him. I think that's kind of what ruined their career. Wow. And then Eric wow. Moore went to jail, you know, for other reasons. But uh, oh, he didn't go to jail just for that. Oh no, no, oh, okay. it, it was another weapons charge. It was. <laughs> you have to know Eric Moore. He's, he's, well, I'm. He's not a one trick. I, I don't, don't <laughs> crook. think I want to only because no. I don't want to upset him. Yeah, for, no, no. great for guy though. Actually, and I, he has I like the major, major legal problems. Just and, make sure and you can else. do his encore. That's all. Yeah, yeah, right. So he pulls a gun on Buck Dharma. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to do an encore. That was pretty much it. Well, Buck is like three feet tall. <laughs> you don't even need a gun. No, yeah. you don't. You no. can play football and use like, him as the ball. I just want to hear him say, though, hey, man, don't fear the Reaper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he didn't say that. But <laughs> that's, wow. In my mind, that's where he goes. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. And then what happened actually after that, another band called Rosie, which was Mark Chatfield from the gods, a guitar player. Mm-hmm. He started this band called Rosie, and we were getting old enough on like, a fake ED, we could go out to clubs and see bands. And we're like, oh. And then we got to see up close the guy from the gods, and we're seeing him in a club, and they were so professional. They had, you know, the crew would wear a black T-shirt. All these little things you don't notice. The scrim on the drum riser would be thinking. The guitar changes were slick. Just as a pro band, but we were so close in a club, we could see what they were doing, kind of look behind the curtain and go... Oh, so that's where we've learned a lot of our professionalism, a lot of our teamwork, a lot of that stuff that you don't see in the right. audience. But if you're in the band, you have to know and you have yeah. to learn. You have to practice this stuff. And so I credit some of these these really top bar bands in the Columbus music scene, which is really vibrant, that were so professional on stage with all the little things that we learned and we picked up from that. And that went into everything that we did. And by the time we got to L.A., people were like... Well, what? Yeah, these guys have been doing it forever. Yeah, they had no idea. They was, they didn't even they didn't even know what made it so good. But it's because we had a good crew and we knew this professionalism and this this all the behind the scenes stuff. It makes a huge difference. Very cool. What time is it? Yes, ten fifteen. Okay, we got right. time to go. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you go ahead. To, we have I'll, to I'll, stop at uh, twenty and forty of the I'll, hour I'll to keep do an eye uh, on public service announcements. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Lee. This is all I do. <laughs> I'm just here to watch. It's the timekeeper tonight. <laughs> no, no. I'm all right, so you guys uh, formed the band in Ohio. What was your first show like? Well, actually, it wasn't even Sweet Savage. Sweet Savage started in Dallas. Oh, excuse me. So, uh, yeah, Lane and, and Joey were in this band, Truce, and they moved to Columbus after high school. I was still in high school. I was a couple years behind, so I was catching up. And, uh, and they played out, and after a while, they kind of went their separate ways, different bands. And uh, Lane actually got into a pretty popular local band, and uh, Joey was in a band called Assassin. And it kind of continued that way. Lane kept, you know, he was always like ahead of everybody. He'd always move. Then he moved to Dallas on Mark Chatfield's suggestion because Lane was like, oh, I'm going to move to L.A. That's where the scene is. And I'm not a New Yorker, so let's do that. And he goes, no, you got to check out Dallas. I've always found this part real interesting. A lot of bands back then, just like L.A., let's just go. Yeah. You guys made a pit stop in Dallas. Yeah, and it really wasn't even, you know, I thought it was going to be, yeah, like a way stop on, on the way to L.A., but it was... On Mark Chaplin, he goes, no, there's this club, Mother Blues, there's, you know, it's Band Lightning, and some of these, you know, Rocky Athens and these guys, he, I mean, he's mentioned these people by name I'd never heard of, and uh, and he was right, and we got here, and then that whole Cardi's circuit, there was yeah. Cardi's in every town, Austin, and Beaumont, and Houston, and wherever, 
And here there was uh, with the Matleys, Matleys Phase Two. That was the dive bar. That's one thing a good local music scene needs is a really, really crappy dive bar. Yeah, it's a little scary. We got well, a little dirty. Yes, that's, that's so you, rock you and roll. Have that. Yeah, yeah. We definitely have a few. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> and I love all of them. <laughs> Which one was the first one you played as Savage in Dallas? It was Matley's. Matley's. Matley's for sure. And that was over off of 635 and... Uh... It's like Skillman and Abrams, okay, Northwest okay. Highway. Uh, the Vampire Lounge was late years later uh, across the street from oh, where, okay, where Matley's okay. used to yeah. be, but that general area. Now you're yeah. speaking me and Sharif, Sarah. Yeah, and everybody <laughs> played there. I mean, Pantera was playing Matley's, mm-hmm. Savvy, and um, you know, Lightning. I saw a lot of great bands there. Um, little just crappy crappy bar but it was the atmosphere and the whole scene it's it's i think it was the glue that kept the whole thing together really we'll be right back with more with chris sheridan it's reckless rock radio and 89.3 knon fm on lightning strikes twice that's rocky athens's lightning with lightning strikes again it's reckless rock radio and 89.3 knon fm in dallas fort worth the voice of the people big mix lee i'm spicoli we're here with chris sheridan of sweet savage and sharif kamal from the uh queens of the south What's what a great on? show how are you sir i'm doing well and yourself uh you know this is weird. I know, right? We've known, <laughs> e- we've known each other for over 20 years. Never done this. No issues whatsoever in front of everybody else. And we're sitting here looking at each other like, huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, what's up with 1883? You still, uh, you're in this next season, yes? Stand in, correct. Stand in. Yep, for season one was uh, stand in for Sam Elliott. So that was pretty awesome. I'm not going to ask any questions about the mustache, but I am curious, so I'll ask you off air. It is real. So what? Else, what's coming up? <laughs> what else is uh, coming up? Uh, are you going any other projects or? Uh, season two is about to start filming again. Oh, okay. So, so you're about to be a busy guy. Yes, hopefully. All right. Crossing well, my fingers. Well, that's awesome, bro. We're glad you're here. Glad I'm here. How too. do you two know each other? Through Joey. Joey. That's <laughs> awesome. I mean, come on. That's you, the answer to uh, so I many. Mean, How really do you know this? That question? he's the matchmaker. <laughs> he's like the you know on the fiddle on the roof. You know, bringing everybody together. You know, he's yeah. just such a uh, what what a guy. I mean, I'm so glad we're here talking about this. Some time has passed since mm-hmm. he passed in March. It's still hard. It's you know what's been really hard lately is is hearing his voice, his singing That's voice. True. It's yeah. I lost a friend that I've known forever. I mean, as close as a brother as you can get. Um, you know, and, and so many things. Um, but just, I go, dang, you know, man, it's such a good voice. You know, yes, <laughs> like it's, you know it's, it's, it's everything. It's a great loss. But the loss is only so great because he was so great to know, so great to play sure. in a band with. Uh, just a great soul, a great spirit. And, and it, you know, it lives on through us, and it has to. You, you, you talk about Joey, you know, bringing people together. Um, the first time I met Joey, you know, I had no idea who he was. I was new to Dallas. I'd, God was just out mixing bands and everything. And he introduced himself to me, and we said hi. It was, hey, nice to meet you. Cool, cool, cool. The <laughs> second time I met Joey, I had known him for my entire life. We were the best friends on yeah. the planet. My friends were his friends. His friends were my friends. And and that's just how he was. He would meet you and say, hey, nice to meet you. And then the next time you saw him, he was like you had been his friend forever. Did he ever yell at you, Lee? No. Oh, okay. Did he yell at you? Yes. Well, you must have some, done <laughs> you something horrible. It. Yeah, well, absolutely. I found a voicemail the other day. Okay. Because I never check them, <laughs> never. That's why he yelled at you. And he, there's one on there. I would have played it on the air, but 
and he's it's got a few choice words in it and kind of telling me to get my act together. Well, we need to get and, that to some musicians yeah. so they can incorporate it into a song somehow. Okay. I was just curious. Cause yeah. I, I can do a, a good Joey impression, but I can't do it without cussing. No, he was it's not as funny. But he was, yeah. When he, it's when he was yelling at me. Anyway, go on. We're not. We can do this later. We have a whole rest of our uh, radio careers at KNON to talk about. Joey, tonight we're talking with Chris right. and Sharif. Uh, where were we? Well, we were we were moving to Dallas from Ohio. Yes. I think that's the migration. Uh, Lane's my dad had moved down. I think in eighty one or eighty two. Lane followed late in eighty two. I graduated high school in eighty two, so I'm still in Ohio, slugging it out. Joey's still in Columbus, working the clubs. Uh, he was he actually even waiting tables at this place called the El Rosa Villa, which became Correct. pretty notorious sure. in, in rock history years later. Uh, I would go there on a fake ID. Actually, it was Joey's fake ID. Well, it was his real ID when it would expire. I would get his. And we looked close enough. You know, it was like, you know, and it worked. It worked for years, you know. Uh, That's awesome. So, like, uh, so I never had to worry about that. But um, And then, you know, my brother's like, man, this music scene is great. you got to come down here. So I'd come down and visit and check it out. And totally, again, underage, going to all these clubs. And um, and then, uh, you know, we said, like, let's do this. Let's let's put a band together. Let's, you know, because I'd sent him some songs. I was writing in Columbus and I was working at a factory and making enough money but guy you know buy some gear but it was kind of a dead end you know blue collar just like like the decay of mm-hmm. industrialism you know before info took over and in, in, uh, in the industries and 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 things were happening here I mean I, I'd never like seen a city like Dallas I mean like you know all the lights and everything and uh, and then of course coming here and going to the clubs it was just it was just incredible like everyone's like you know having a great time everyone's partying a lot of clubs a lot of people got to meet a lot of people really quick and uh, and I said well yeah let's do this and we're like well who are we going to get for you know drums and the singer and, and things like that and there was um, there was a band called Sinatra and um, Davis Baird guitar player and Kenny the um, the singer or the uh, real, real quick, what, yeah. what's the band's name? Oh, Sinatra, like as in Frank. Yeah, but I think it was with an S. Y maybe? No, I think they spelled the same way. Okay. Um, I thought maybe mer- you know combining forces, sure. you know, merging together a bunch of different things like that. And I said, well, you know, what about Joey? And he's like, Joey? And I'm like, yeah, like you know, he's been because Lane hadn't seen him play like probably in a year or two. And I said, no, he's he's, he's really kicking tail there in Columbus. And uh, there's a band called Assassin. There's a band called Babyface. And they were drawing at the El Rosa, you know, writing some good songs. And Joey had just, like, he'd gone from being, like, you know, good for an Ohio homeboy and, you know, slugging it out in the clubs. And something had, you know, I'd seen it, you know, uh, the results of it. He had just honed his craft in it got to this extra level and I said no man let's go so we went New Year's Eve 83 going into 84 Lane flew up to Ohio and we saw him play at the Al Rosa and I said see and Lane goes (laughs) let's do this and Joey was on board and he came a couple months later so yeah, where he would pick him up from the airport and uh, just like right away on the way from the airport to the apartment it was like, let's do this and let's do that. And he had all these concept ideas. The whole pink and blue thing was his mm-hmm. idea. You know, he had a lot to say to help really the inception and the whole creation of the band, even naming the band, you know, together. We were all at the Million Dollar Saloon and we got to come up with a name. We got to come up with a name. And, you know, Sweet Savage, okay, great. You know, <laughs> everyone was just, you know, it, everything just seemed to click. And, there was a couple people, one uh, this girl, Timmy Counts, and another one, Tracy Nix, who were really dialed into the scene. They just you know, knew everybody. And <clears throat> Tracy took us to this club on Northwest Highway on a school night. I don't know. It was a rainy Thursday. And 
he goes, oh, you guys see this band, Pantera, they're really good. And then this guitar player goes, oh, yeah, I heard about the guy. Like, he won a contest or something. I was kind of getting inklings on what was happening. And, you know, they were obviously young and kind of working on their, on their craft. But you could tell, I mean, they had, they were tight, you know, two brothers. Dime was a great guitar player. You could just, you know, I knew he was going to do something. I figured the band probably would. Of course, they, you know, got to see them kind of evolve over the years, even before uh, they switched singers, mm-hmm. uh, which is just such a great, rich time to be at this music scene here in Dallas. I mean, Savvy was doing great before Ricky Lynn kind of went solo. And the Club Doesn't he Savage. do country music now? Did I hear yeah, that Yeah, I think he goes by Ricky Lynn Gregg. Oh, okay. That's his full moniker. But uh, but Lightning, you just played that yeah. song, Lightning Strikes Twice. Uh, they were great. That was a recommendation. So, you know, Rocky Aids on guitar and Barney on bass, which nice. years later, Barney would end up Lord with Tracy. Terry yeah. from Pantera. You know, so it's this, again, this community. We all knew each other. And these people introducing each other uh, was the way that we got you know, we were sitting in with this band at Matley's called Black Star. Kenny Sizelove was playing drums then, and you know he's huge local name here. You know, everyone still knows playing, him. still playing, still, still looking great. Those gray hair, yeah, yeah he loves <laughs> he's a great guy, he's a super great guy. <laughs> um, but you know, it was because of these people that were kind of behind the scenes, kind of in the wings. Uh, they were the real engine that drove the scene because connections are being made and that's really how a scene happens and when you know people and oh so and so's looking for a bass player well what about this guy who's that oh I don't know well check him out and you know you get to know three or four people just from one introduction and like you're saying with how Joey yeah. is with with being so you know generous with with time and and just that friendly you know making a connection there was a lot of competition then but mm-hmm. it was much more a community the competition was friendly it was like intramural it wasn't even you know, for the big win, it was it was just to kind of keep us, you know, one step yeah, ahead. Right, right. Yeah. It was a family. Sounds yeah, like yeah, yeah, it was. It was. And everybody knew each other. Uh, if Pantera had the weekend off, they'd come see us and sit in. If we had the weekend off, and they were playing like at Savvy's, there's nothing we'd drive out there to see them. It was mutual support. If we weren't playing, we were seeing some of friends' bands, Stiff, any of these bands. Who was your favorite to go see, or did you have one? Well, I mean, I like Lightning for sure because it's kind of a musician band. Yeah, you know? right, right. Um, that was kind of good. And well, certainly Pantera because they were you know a bunch of knuckleheads like us, and there would always be great after parties, right? Uh, especially like in Arlington or any time they played Savvy's or out in, in Fort Worth, um, you know. And then it got to be we were playing so much we really didn't get to see as many bands. You know, we'd be off in Houston or you know doing something else. So you had the weekend off here. You'd be at another in another city. How would you get gigs to do uh, that? Just uh, There was a booking agency, John Bloomstrom, called American Bands Management out of Houston, and he booked that whole circuit. There was, oh. whole card, there was like six or seven Cardies, you know, Austin, El Paso, Beaumont, you know, everyone had one. And there were several other clubs. And he was, you know, on the phone. And this was a time when you would play like three sets a night, mm-hmm. right. four or five nights a week. You were like, a, it was working musicians, you know? You had to do so many cover tunes, you had to do this. and uh, But a, a great way to hone your craft. There's nothing like playing live. And there's times, you know, we'd like listen to a song the night before, maybe kind of try it at sound check, and then just play it that night. And well, three or four nights later, it sounded pretty good. <laughs> but, but, but you're, you know, you're playing four nights at a club. You know, so a week later, you're you're polished, you know, so it was, it was really a great way to, it's a lot, it was hard work, but it was a great way to grow the band, do a lot of cover tunes, uh, to help develop your style when it came to writing. What's a cover y'all would have done back then that would surprise us today? Drop Dead Legs by Van Halen. Nice. Great song. Why is that so surprising? <laughs> uh, well, it's, 
No. It's not. It's not a. It's not like a Motley Crue or a Scorpion <laughs> song or something. You know, mean Street by Y&T. I mean, they were all oh, in that zone. Fantastic that nice. band. Yeah. Um, anything UFO. Oh, bon Scott, yes. ACDC for sure. Joe is so masterful with that. But we would try to play deeper cuts. Like we wouldn't do Highway to Hell. We would do Girls Got Rhythm. Nice. Or Walk All Over You. Yes. Like that. You know. That ACDC. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> now that okay, I've always wanted to know this. Sweet Savage UK, Sweet Savage USA. Now, I see a lot of, oh, let's just call them blabbermouth commenters, <laughs> YouTubers, you know. The, the lowest common denominator as the internet goes. Always comment on YouTube and blabbermouth. Now, when I see the comments under some of the Sweet Savage videos from Sweet Savage UK fans, it's not very... Um, Flattering. And by the same token, I've heard some of that in Dallas-Fort Worth as well, who don't know anything about Sweet Savage UK. So, I guess what I'm asking is, <laughs> what you guys uh, obviously thought of the name at the same time, around the same time. Sweet Savage UK, for uh, those of you who don't know, was a new wave of British heavy metal band along the veins of Iron Maiden, Saxon, Angel Witch, that whole scene going on in the late 70s and early 80s in England. Now, this is before the Internet, so doing a quick Google search to see if somebody else has your name was not possible back then. And No, but we had a lawyer do it. Oh, okay. We did. We came up with the name in 84, and we hadn't played a gig yet. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to make sure. Then an article came out, because Vivian Campbell was playing with Dio. Right. And they were, you know, they were hitting really big. Last in line had come out, and, you know, it was a, you know, Guitar geek reading all these articles, and he was talking about his band before he was in Dio called Sweet Savage. And I'm like, oh no, this sucks. We got to come up with a new name. What do we, you know, we we're like, ah, oh, you know, good thing we hadn't played a gig yet or finalized a logo or, or anything. So it was pretty early on in the thing. So, but we talked to an entertainment attorney and they looked it up and they said since they did not release anything in America, okay, was fair game? Uh, yeah, under copyright and everything, we had it. And and they were broken up. Yeah, by they, broken sure. up they, anyway. they were broken up. They were they were gone before we played our first gig. So we never thought there would be any kind of a conflict. It was way after the fact for them. Of course, now years have passed. But what happened? So Metallica, what covers one of <laughs> yeah. Sweet Savage songs, and they find us on the internet, and they're like. You know, who are these queers? <laughs> you know? And then, you know, people looking for Sweet Savage like our thing, and it's like, you know, death metal or something. Like, <laughs> that didn't that? work. We couldn't be further apart as bands, even though we share the same sure. name, and I, I don't even know where it is now. It's just kind of like now we're the underground band. That if, if you know the Sweet Savage sure. Dallas, sure. USA, you're kind of in with the hip kids. <laughs> They're kind of underground, too. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I think they play the festival circuit and. Europe, and that's probably about it. And it's always those special Tigers of Pantang, Raven, oh, right, Ven right. Venom Inc. type bills. I think there's, uh, well, and it's not like y'all are active anymore anyway, so. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, just wanted to clear that up because I've yeah, always been curious. But we knew about it before we, you know, But since they were broken the up, oh well, and they're yeah, across and the pond, who cares? Yeah, what are they yeah, going to do? Yeah. Yeah, just cool. make fun of you later, 20, 30 years later. <laughs> and then they invent the internet. I'm on the internet and I have opinions. <laughs> All right. Uh, real quick, going to take a couple, uh, do a couple public service announcements. And uh, we're going to be right back with some unreleased Sweet Savage Ooh. material. Stick around. It's Reckless Rock Radio and 89.3 KNON-FM. 
From the album Made in Texas, that's all come alive tonight from Savvy. It's Reckless Rock Radio and 89.3 KNON-FM with Big Mix Lee. I'm Spicoli. And uh, if you go back a few days on the Reckless page, you can see a YouTube clip I shared from Savvy back in uh, on KDFI Channel 27 television from like 1982. It's pretty uh, pretty neat to watch. I remember that channel very well. I wasn't here yet. No, you were not. Anyway, back with Chris Sheridan and Sharif Kamal. Hello, gentlemen, again. Thank you for being here. Yeah, great to be here. Us. All right, where do we leave off? We were having so much fun. Well, we'd gotten to Dallas. Named Dallas. The we're in Dallas. And we're starting to play, I guess, in this wonderful Dallas music scene that we happened upon. It really was back then, wasn't it? It was. Man. Yeah. I missed it. You did. So did I. <laughs> So did Sharif. Yes, very true. <laughs> While you guys were doing that, we were in the sandbox drooling on ourselves playing with Transformers. <laughs> right. We were drooling on ourselves, too, but there were other... <laughs> usually after a pretty heavy night. So you played Matt Lee's the first time as Sweet Savage. Yeah, and there was so much buzz about the, the band, even before we played. Because we're sitting in with these uh, this band Blackstar, mm-hmm. Size Loves Band. Sure. And uh, and we actually grabbed the guitar player, too, Michael Scott. <laughs> Taking him. <laughs> we're Sorry, we're bad that way. But, <laughs> but it was like a record-setting attendance at Matley's. Like wow. the fire department came. You know, it was a, a, exceeded the limit. Uh, but cool. there was so much buzz because of the people. They were, you know, word was getting out. People were talking. And we, had, we were visible enough. And we were showing. And we were new. We were these guys from nowhere. You know, where were they from? And they all had this long blonde hair. And... What's, what's going to happen? So really, even though we didn't have a reputation, we, the buzz preceded us. Mm-hmm. So by the time we played out, it was just, uh, I think that people were looking for something new. And then what we brought with all those years of learning and cutting our teeth in the clubs in Columbus, uh, learning how to do very professional things, taping things down, just this stuff you're not supposed to notice. But if you notice them, there's a problem. If you don't notice them, you're aces, you know. So, uh, yeah, so it took off. It was just incredible, and it, and it never w- wavered from that. It started out on a high note, and that's the way it carried the whole time playing here. That's amazing. So you didn't have to, like, play to six people. You didn't have to, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously you rehearsed a lot. I mean, I think there was one time in <clears throat> Louisville, Kentucky, at a place called the Toy Tiger. The Toy Tiger. I was going to wear that T-shirt today, actually. That's funny you brought them up. That's funny. I have a T-shirt from there. I was going right. to wear it. That's crazy. I, th- I think there were six. I think there yeah. were six people there. Uh, a couple of them worked there. One was a waitress. So, yeah, no, it was it was like a fishbowl. So, no. And, and even then, we you still play like it's an arena. I think that's what we brought to the clubs. We brought an arena act into the clubs. Eight marshals, eight heads, eight cabinets. Six SVTs. And you guys loaded all that? In Mally's. Yeah. No, it was above the lights. The, oh, wow. it was The lighting trusses were actually <laughs> lower than the amplifiers. It, we, we had so much stuff. Wow. But that was our stage gear. That was our show. And it was clean. It was symmetrical. <laughs> it was loud. And everything else was on the stage. It was all on us. You know, we knew we had, we brought in extra lights. Uh, we even bought our own lights. We'd bring lights into the club. Anything to make it more of a concert, more of a show, more of an event. And not just a club that's got a band playing. What was your favorite place to play in the Savage Days as far as Dallas-Fort Worth goes? That's hard to say because, honestly, and this is really bad for me to say, um, there, there wasn't the definitive club here. Okay. It was, it was a definitive scene. Sure. Uh, but it didn't, like, the Ritz was a great club. It was an old movie theater. But the stage was, like, 
12 feet off the <clears throat> dance floor. Wow. So you lost that connection with the people. It was a big, you know, thing. You got 100 people in there. It was awesome. Mally was, was great. The stage was like 12 inches off the <laughs> dance floor. <laughs> you know, and it's like people will trip over, your, you know, your monitor, you know, because they're, they're dancing too hard or something. You know, it was kind of extreme opposites. Savvy's was probably, the, in Fort Worth, was probably the, the mid-ground. It was big enough. You get hundreds of people in there. It was a big enough stage, especially when they moved it to the side from the corner. And, uh, and people there just totally let loose. I mean, it was full-on party. People just had a great time, um, loved seeing us, and it was, it was just a party. It was just a gigantic party. Houston, actually, you know, Cardi's was, was really a concert stage. Um, Al Rosa Villa in Columbus, you know, some of these other places. Um, but we always loved playing Dallas, like being here. And if, even if it didn't have the definitive club, it was really the scene and the people that were way more important than that. Now, did the EP come out when you were still in Dallas, or was that after you had already moved to L.A.? Uh, no, we were still here. We didn't move to L.A. until, like, mid-'87. Okay. Uh, or spring or something of '87. So, we had gone out to L.A. a couple times before in '85, one to play, and the second time we went back, that's when we ended up recording the EP. Uh, Dana Strum produced it. And just as a side note with that EP, maybe we can get to that later, but the engineer, Mikey Davis, mm-hmm. If you want to know what's really behind all that, that's him. He did Quiet Riot. He did Motley Crue. He did all that stuff before he did us, like these breakthrough records. He was just a fantastic engineer. And just a bit of advice, you know, as far as getting sounds that that you want, that Mm -hmm. you envision your band and your sound and your style, it's your engineer. (laughs) That's your guy. The producer (laughs) may or may not have great ideas. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But the engineer, that's who you want to be friends with. Now, the Savage EP, did it get any airplay or decent airplay here in North Texas? Q102 or the Zoo? or uh, Yeah, Q102. The, um, uh, Doyle, what the heck was his name? Doyle King. Doyle King, the, the something. Didn't he have a, the warrior or something? It was, he had a moniker. He had some kind of nickname. But. I can't remember. Yeah, we went down. He got in trouble, actually. We went down there. And uh, as soon as it got prepped, I think it came out like late in 85, right around Christmas time. So it was cold, and, you know, we took it on down there. And, and he put it on, and we just talked and talked and talked. And of course, we were, you know, probably partying in the 80s kind of way, if you know what I mean, um, which, which pro- probably helped, you know, <laughs> helped grease the DJ's wheels there on the turntable and played the Sweet Savage EP. But it was great. People would call in. It was, you know, it was kind of an overnight show. But, uh, but yeah, we got some airplay. I think the, the zoo, what was that? Uh, 98 KZW. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember driving somewhere, and it's like, you know, like, wow, you know, you're driving a car in the middle of nowhere, and you hear your song. I didn't even know. And That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So they played you. Uh, did you ever get to do any interviews over with those jocks, like Redbeard, or was it just Doyle? Uh, kind of just Doyle. We, we ended up, since he played us so early on, we ended up just sticking with him, you know, because he just, he would funnel us in, you know, during a, the slow night or something. Uh, but we were always just so busy playing. We were a working band. We were gone most of the time. And we expanded, you know, beyond. We would go to Columbus and play because we had, you know, we actually kind of, when we went back to the El Rosa as Sweet Savage, by then Sweet Savage <laughs> was honed. I mean, we had been playing all the clubs you mm-hmm. know, here in Texas these four <clears throat> nights a week. When we go back to the El Rosa, people are like, oh, yeah, those guys. I remember, <laughs> yeah, Joey used to wait tables here at the El Rosa. No, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, those are Sheridan brothers, you know. And then we show up and it's like, completely blew them away we were totally the returning heroes in a way you know but it it really paid off again dallas music scene is what made all that happen so cool now you were gracious enough to uh send us some uh lost demos and a brand new song now before we get to the brand new song can we you want to do the uh which one do you want to do on the rocks or uh 
Head Over Heels, the one that hasn't been heard before the EP. You, yeah, this, this would have been a recording we did early in uh, 85, Crystal Clear Sound. I think Phil York was the uh, engineer on that. And uh, several songs, one of them, uh, there was a Head Over Heels and an On the Rocks, but very different from what, you know, months later uh, we recorded on the EP. This is so cool. Yeah, Which one do you want to do? Yeah, anyone. You tell uh, me. Let's do On the Rocks real quick. Yeah. All right. This is the uh, On the Rocks from Sweet Savage from 1984. Pre, uh, predates the EP that you all have, or most of you should still have. It's Reckless Rock Radio and 89.3 KNON FM. Oh, it's good to be home. <laughs> Sweet Savage on the Rocks, the lost version. It's Reckless Rock Radio and 89.3 KNON FM. In Dallas, Fort Worth, the voice of the people. With Big Mix Lee, I'm Spicoli. Happy Sunday once again. Thank you for joining us. We're here with Chris Sheridan, formerly of Sweet Savage, and Sharif Kamal from the uh, show Queen of the South in uh, 1883. Gentlemen, thank you once again for being here. Thank you. And uh, Miss Lisa, thank you so much for being here. Chris brought his girlfriend along. Oh. <laughs> I, I, and anyway. Did you really just say cute? <laughs> yes, I did. So what are you talking about? I'm going to make sure. I, I'm adorable. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. First, folks. <laughs> Spicoli's adorable. Oh, Lee, I just did the legal identification, yeah, no, but so. we can still do it in three minutes. Just yeah. to. I know you did it. I'll do it again. <laughs> Stop judging me. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, so you guys are playing the scene in Dallas-Fort Worth, and, uh, dude, where am I leaving off? We're having so much fun, I'm losing yeah. my place here. Well, this song, this version of On yeah. the Rocks, uh, it was the first song we wrote, mm -hmm. first song we played out live as an original. So this came before the club, On the Rocks. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I think that's why the club was called. Uh, Thank uh, you for clearing that Marcus. up. Marcus, yeah, yeah, I like to claim that anyway. I mean, <laughs> I... I, I Pretty sure it's true. That's what I was told <laughs> at the time. So uh, we'll see. Uh, but if you notice, we have double kick and double guitars in mm -hmm. on the rocks, mm -hmm. as we have. So we did have two guitar players. We had Michael Scott for the first few months. And then for about a year, we had Lance, the boss, Ross, really good guitar player. I was a little more of like an Eddie Van Halen-ish, you know, influence. And he was a little more of a Randy Rose kind of thing. We both, we did some double leads. We did nice. a lot of stuff that, you know, you couldn't do with one guitar player. Um, and we wrote that way. Um, really great guy, great guitar player. I hope he's listening. Uh, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but I uh, hope he's doing great. Uh, it was just a, you know, a phase that we went through, and things happened. And at one point, we were getting ready to come back to L.A. for the second time in 85, and we parted ways, and we just ended up not getting another guitar player. By then, I'd you know, kind of risen to the thing. We, we traded off enough leads that... You know, we rehearsed a couple of times, did a couple of gigs, and didn't seem like we were, you know, missing anything. But it, but it shifted the band too, because you couldn't do some of those, you know, guitar player back and forth kind of things, sure. you know, which were really popular. But this was at a time when a lot of bands were trying to decide which way you're going to go. Are you going to go metal? Or are you going to, you know, go with more of this glam thing that was happening? So eighty, probably eighty five. It's you know, I think Metallica's uh, right, the Lightning or you know, Beat 'em Up, Kill 'em All, or something had had come out that was significant enough that people sure. were like. You know, we kind of grew up with some of the same stuff, and this is what happened with Pantera. You know, we were playing probably 30% of the same cover tunes. Right. Because uh, we had the same influences, but it was a lot of Jesus Priest and some, you know, heavier stuff. Yeah, I was going to ask, I can tell by your guitar, just listening to you play guitar on the EP, 
you guys weren't just listening to you know Quiet Riot and Twisted Sister and uh, oh no, you know, we were already playing you, before Twisted. You know, they right, came out, right. or at least mainstream came. You out. guys were listening we were to some metal playing. in it was, there. It was seventies stuff, the really hard stuff, uh, stuff you get you know from England. <laughs> you know, you go to the record store and get some imports. Um, anything that we could get our hands on, but definitely hard rock. You know, we, we didn't even call it heavy metal so much as, as hard rock. It was, you know, but Joey has such this voice that was so melodic, and we loved all that 70s pop stuff, too, you know, that just, ah, kind of made you feel good. You know, AM 70s gold, you know, <laughs> you know going way back. And that's, again, that's what happened with Sweet Savage. We, the name describes the music. So you have some harmonies, you've got these beautiful melodies from this wonderful singer, and then if you've got some kick-ass rock and roll with heavy drums and, you know, all the tricks and, you know, all the, cause all the marshals and all the heavy yeah. stuff, that's what we were all about. <laughs> oh. Do you need to do your thing? Yeah, all right. No, we're going to pause real quick. No, Ten no. seconds for station identification. Yeah, nobody, nobody say anything. I'm, I'm doing it official. You're listening to KNON 89.3 FM in Dallas and Fort Worth, the voice of the people. There, now they can't throw us <laughs> off the air. <laughs> We're gold. Keeping it real. <laughs> I don't care how long we do this, that will always be funny to me. <laughs> anyway. I'm the new guy, okay? Just... We've been at this six years now. Six. All right, so you guys were deciding whether to go more in the glam direction or the more metal what was the deciding factor? Well, we were at, well. It was just that probably Joey's voice. Uh, not that he couldn't do the hard stuff, and you know any Bond Scott, I mean, he could just nail and he could do the big screams mm-hmm. and, and everything. It was, I think, I think that was part of. It. We liked the melodic part of it. Like Van Halen was, you know, I mean, crazy guitar player Eddie, and he could have been in any metal, any anything, you know, he wanted, but. The songs you could sing along to them too, and that's sweet savage. So it's it's nice and it's you know and it's hardcore, you know. So I think that blend is where we found our support. So we even though we went glam, and if you look at pictures, we went glam all the way. <laughs> I mean, before Poison did, you know. Um, I mean, and more than they did, and we didn't airbrush. We were it was all solid. <laughs> Solid makeup and Aquanet, you know, <laughs> and, and and it just it just seemed to be where we were. And and I remember one night it was uh, I was at Savvy's. Dime comes up to me and he goes, "Dude, we're gonna do it." And I'm like, "What are you gonna do?" <laughs> and he goes, "We're going metal, man." And I'm like, "All right, and he goes, yeah, no, we already got a new singer." And he goes, really? Like I didn't even know they had, you know switched Terry with with Phil, and uh, and it was great. It was perfect for them because sure. you know they did a lot of priests. They did Green Man Alicia and, and mm-hmm. things like that. You know that we do breaking the law or whatever. <laughs> you know, so it just it made sense, and we kind of we actually had to decide kind of how far we were going to go. We know we didn't want to lose our heavy sensibilities, and I don't think we really ever did. No matter how kind of poppy some of the the vocals were underneath it. It's you open up the hood and it's it's a monster in there. So, and definitely sounds like it as far as musicianship is concerned. So you guys decided to go glam, and are you sure this had the population ratio of the audience had no? <laughs> when you go to a metal show, as compared to a glam show, yes, <laughs> the female ratio. Yeah, that's. I mean, that has to be part of it. But see, that was the whole thing about Sweet Savage. <laughs> we brought in girls. And then the guys were like, well, you, you want to know where the girls are? Go see this man. Oh, screw those guys. I hate them. And then they show up and they go, dang, there's a lot of girls here. You know? I have <laughs> some friends on that side of the line who would, uh, in recent years, come, uh, come out and said, you guys really were a great band. But they would secretly go to your shows. 
<laughs> and they wouldn't admit it at the time, yeah. but they would go there for that reason. And then because that's the audience smells correct. so much better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? They smelled so much better. <laughs> <laughs> at least early in the night. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, that's great. All right. Um, now, this new song, we're just going to call it a new song because sure. I'm going to slip yep. and say it again. Now, this isn't a new song. It's a literal lost song. This didn't come out on the EP. This didn't come out on that. Uh, now, that Archives uh, Sweet Savage thing that came out uh, about, oh, what was it? Like 20 04? years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had one, but. Uh, I'll get you one. Really? Find him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> cool. I love this guy. <laughs> Swag. It's not even my birthday, man. <laughs> no, I had that, and uh, I don't remember that song being on this one, nor the uh, Demon Dolls release anywhere else. Yeah. So, what's the story with this song? Uh, uh, this song, Condition Red. This is again. This is when we were more in our metal, you know, sensibility. That was more of an influence uh, with our originals too, not just cover tunes and you know, double kick and just love all that stuff, double guitar. And this uh, to bring this to the current. Mm-hmm. stage uh this in the last you know it was maybe six months ago uh or so ago joey you know of course being sick and everything he's like man let's you know, we should record a couple more songs or maybe take an old one that you know we didn't really get to do justice in the studio and and go through, oh okay yeah that's cool let's try that and what do you think he goes condition red nice. i'm like what he could have <laughs> said any other song that have been like all right dude i was like it surprised me i like the song I and mean, i wrote the line share of the, uh, of the music and everything and um, but it kind of surprised me, and it's like, okay, you know, like, so that heavy metal edge was nice. there all the way to nice. the last. So, yeah. yeah. So, what year would this uh, song be? I uh, wrote it in 80, 84, I guess, yeah. Wow. And no one else has heard this ever? I don't, I don't think so. We actually ended up playing it live a couple times again, but it was just, we brought it back in. And then it kind of went away. So maybe a handful of times live, somebody heard it since then. And we didn't really play it much live after we uh, lost Lance, our second guitar player, because it, it had, you know, those two guitar player things. So the first time on <laughs> FM Radio. Yes, definitely the first a time. long lost any. Sweet Savage song. Let's do it. This is Condition Red from Sweet Savage. You're listening to Reckless Rock Radio and 89.3 KNON FM. From the Tito Tapes uh, Sessions, that is Night is Calling from Sweet Savage. It's Reckless Rock Radio and 89.3 KNON-FM in Dallas-Fort Worth, the voice of the people. Big Mix Lee, I'm Spicoli. We're here with Chris Sheridan and Sharif Kamal. Thank you again, guys, for being here. Now, that song was supposed to be in, uh, was it Critters 2? Critters 2, Critters yeah. Two. That so many unanswered cool. questions from Critters One that they needed a sequel. Of course, yeah. oh, that had one of those cool covers you'd see when you were browsing the video stores. Like Critters, this is going to be gross. I want to see this. Why? Why didn't they end up not using that? Uh, that would have been great. It's some contract deal. Everything is negotiable, and it probably happened with a lawyer and a you know publicist, and and not really any a band kind of a thing. But when you say Tito tapes, this is Tito Jackson. Yes, home not studio. you guys were drinking Tito's. You were in Tito Jacks. So was he there at all? Did oh, you get yeah. To, oh, oh, he yeah. was. No, no, there's a whole story there. So we got the calls. Okay, you can go to Ponderosa Studios. That's what it was called. And it's Tito Jackson's home studio. And this is, what, 88. So it wasn't too long after the Jackson reunion tour. You know, they were, it wasn't just Michael Bay. It was the Jacksons mm-hmm. actually had a resurgence then and did a big tour. And 
uh, Victory Tour, I don't know what it was called, but um, it was right after that, and he had all his guitars there and everything, but we're on our way there, and you know, we've got this in Encino, and there's no GPS or anything, <laughs> Thomas Guide Maps, and didn't know where we were going. Finally asked him, we said, well, where's Jackson's house? And it was, oh, you know, you go down there, and you turn left, and it's the second house on the right. Okay. So we go down there, and there's this gate, and we push, press the button. And he's like, who are you? What are you doing here? And it's like, sweet savage, we're here, man. You know, I'm like, duh, you know. And he's like, you know, hold, don't move. Just stay right there. Don't back up. And they came out. Two armed guards came wow. out. Whoa. And like, you know, what are you doing here? Who told you to be here? And you can't be here. You know, got to turn around. You can't be here. And it's like, don't ever come back. <laughs> like, and I said, well, you know, isn't this Jackson's house? And he goes, you're dang right it is. You can't be here. And I said, well, we're supposed to be recording at Tito's studio ponder oh this is michael's house you gotta go to tito's <laughs> oh, man. oh man you get the tito's house yeah, nobody yeah, yeah, there. no it was way up on the hill nobody cared tito ah yeah him yeah there's no guards no gate no dog nothing you know michael they he were probably gonna... answered the door in his robe and <laughs> cigarette or something oh yeah come yeah. on go around back so that's how that day started <laughs> don't, don't mind the place yeah. no tito was cool you know out for a while we were getting our sounds and everything and uh, we just recorded for an afternoon we did four songs that was the only one we actually got to finish the other three were just live which is kind of disappointing I really wanted those to be finished as well it was a summer song night um, what else was it she's got it and uh, I think desert rose uh, so we never got to do those songs justice in the studio but uh, yeah it was all one day at Tito Jackson's studio uh, now, you're going to play acoustically this Saturday at uh, Joey's Celebration of Life, which is open to the public, by the way, and will be taking place at the Loft in Dallas on the south side, and then upstairs from, like, yeah, I, I think, think it's so. Gillies. Gillies, it's the, the Palladium, Gillies. I, whatever yeah. they're calling themselves that week. I, I, I'm losing track. <laughs> I don't mean any disrespect. It's right? one large building right. with a lot of spaces in it. Correct. So you're the sound guy. You're supposed to know these things. I know nothing. <laughs> That's at what time is this going down? I think eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. Yes, next Saturday. <clears throat> Friends, family. Uh, Jade's going to be there. Jade Jones, Joey, uh, Joey's daughter, beautiful daughter, beautiful voice. Who knew? Right. I guess it runs in the family. Right. It carried over. So if you want to hear her and uh, her beautiful voice uh, come down, and you know, we're probably going to be sharing a lot of stories. Uh, just. You know, low key, casual, but it's 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 time. That was my next question. What's the dress code? Because I went to <laughs> yeah. Bruce Corbett's funeral and thinking it was casual and everyone's dressed real nice, and I'm in a Bathory t-shirt and basketball shorts, and I'm real embarrassed. So <laughs> wear it this time. Just bring, You'll be welcome. <laughs> bring, bring I want to see you in basketball you shorts. <laughs> you don't want to see that on me. Actually, right, cool. Joey C. Jones. Yeah. Fine basketball player. Yes, he was. Yeah. We talked basketball a lot. Yeah, yeah. And he made fun of me for being a Steelers fan. I know that's football, but yeah, I knew he was, because uh, he would make fun of me for liking the New York Knicks. Well, <laughs> that's okay. That, that makes sense. That's okay. In the 90s, man, they were, used to be good. All right. <laughs> anyway, so Joey's celebration of life is this Saturday at The Loft. Details will be on the Reckless social media pages as well as our own personal pages. And uh, we'll share the hell out of it so you guys can see it. Because that's how we all stay in touch these days, whether we want to admit it or not, is social media. This is why we know everything. And this is how I got a hold of Chris through Sharif. And thank you for agreeing to do this. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, thanks for setting this up, Sharif. Yeah, and I think this celebration, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of about us with each other. Like all the people that knew Joey right. kind of coming together. Now we get to share with each other, you know, our stories and what sure. this meant and things like that. So... 
This is going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got plenty. It, of it, it could uh, carry on for several days, I'm thinking. <laughs> if only somebody recorded all this. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. Not yeah. doing that. All right. So, Sweet Savage, you guys are looking at a lot of labels. Uh, a lot of labels were looking to Sweet Savage, too. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. No, of course. Yeah, actually, um, we, we hadn't even finished that uh, EP. It was just going to be a demo. We thought it was a good demo we were going to shop. Later on, we figured, well, geez, we might as well release the thing, you know, sure. paid enough for it. Uh, but it was we were getting calls in the studio while we were still mixing it. Wow. Uh, well, Dana Strom was really connected. He, um, he introduced may, uh, Randy, Randy Rose Randy to Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, right? And he may or may not have played some bass parts on Motley Crue's first record. But, <laughs> 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 well, why would he do that? I can't imagine why they would... Possibly need him, his assistance on an album. The dirt comes out now. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody so connected. Yeah. And yeah, you know, it, um, and Robert Fleischman sang on the nice. Sweet Savage EP. Nice. Uh, the keys, the little keys, if you hear in the background, like on Fox on the Run, that's Dizzy Reed. Really? Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. Now, which parts did Robert Fleischman sing on? Um, I think the High High Fox on the Run. Oh, okay. Um, and then they went on to be the Vinnie Vincent invasion together. and Yeah, and we actually hooked up Bobby Rock because we knew him from Houston. Right. And Dana wanted to take Randy from oh. us. Oh. <laughs> you said no, but and there's this the other old guy. Switch it's like, oh, no, you don't want him. He's got bad habits. He smells. <laughs> <laughs> there's this other guy. He's got curly hair and big muscles just like Randy. He's out of Houston. And put the thing together. Joey was instrumental, so to speak, in, uh, in getting uh, Bobby Rock. And he you know, talks about that cool. to this day. Uh, great guy, uh, you know. Great drummer, great guy, Bobby Rock. I read his book, and it was very, very entertaining. <laughs> I couldn't put it down. We're going to do a couple public service announcements, and then we're going to get back to something I'm going to find hysterically funny, and I hope you do too. It's Reckless Rock Radio, KNON 89.3 FM. Something from the 21st century, from Year of the Snake, that is Spiders and Snakes with Driving Me Crazy. It's Reckless Rock Radio and 89.3 KNON FM. Chris, you were in Spiders and Snakes uh, for a while with Lizzie Gray, who uh, from... Uh, feels weird saying London fame, but because they weren't really that famous, but they were... No, but everyone else who was in the band got famous. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a breeding ground for who's who. Yeah, London was this great band from the late 70s. They played the Starwood, all these you know big places. Nikki Six was the bass player, and uh, Lizzie wrote Public Enemy Number 1. Mm. You know, I got to play that with Lizzie a whole bunch of times, and people would ask, why'd you play a Motley Crue song, dude? And it's like, well, that <laughs> guy wrote it. Yeah, I know it. He wrote it. <laughs> and uh, so there's this tie-in again with that, but uh, Lizzie was great. I got to you know play with him for many years. Kind of the, This was the last record he did. I sang this song. Uh, but he on this record he sang you know most well you know at least half of the songs he was coming down with Parkinson's then and, oh. and you know having trouble with that but we you know made sure we got uh, as many gigs and as you know many recordings um, as possible with him uh, but really I mean London geez there was you know Fred Corey uh, Izzy Stradlin uh, Nigel Benjamin Martha Hoople you know yeah um, Blackie Law you know it was uh, just like yeah. Yeah, Nikki Six of course you know so lots of, so you know I played with Lizzie for a while so. Things are looking good for me. <laughs> There's still a chance I can do this. <laughs> what you looking at? No, it uh, looks like the power went off out there, but it didn't in here. Uh, Something weird going on. No, we got all the power. We're sucking yeah, yeah, so much yeah. power <laughs> from the megawatts of this yes. station. There's a brownout in this city. <laughs> Suck down all 55,000 watts. <laughs> now, Chris, you're back in town. Are you still playing? You're going to play again? Oh, you're going to form playing. a new band? Uh, yes, yes, and, and yes. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, so yeah, back in town. It's great to be here. Welcome back, home, back it's, by the way. It, it is like being home. You know, I mean, I left here to move to LA, and of course, many many years later, I'm I'm back here now, and it's uh, it's really great. It's great to see you know, Jeff Dennis. You're talking about earlier. Yeah. Some great people here. That big part of the scene. They were friends then. They're friends now. It's got this you know long term. You know, it, it's home. It's family. It's it's it's, it's where I am. And yeah, I'm, I'm playing. I'm you know, this is that was a little sampling of my voice with that driving me crazy. That's kind of a little That's bit where my stuff. writing is yeah. right now. You know, but I, I want to you know, either join something, start sure. something, make something. So I'm available. Dallas Fort Worth. You heard it here first. <laughs> Chris Sheridan is back in Get town. Me single and ready to mingle <laughs> in a band. band yeah. I'm kidding, Lisa. No, he's ready to play. So uh, hit Chris up on his social media if you. Uh, you want to make some magic. Man, that sounded corny as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I will never do that again. Let's I make promise. some music, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Well. Now, Sweet Savage, was, uh, you, you guys were uh, getting a lot of notice from labels. And I couldn't, uh, and I knew the story somewhat about uh, Simmons Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gene always tried to get his fingers on it. You know, Van Halen in 76. Yes. He tried to, you know, they, they dodged that bullet. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, he tries to help out, but sometimes it's a double-edged sword, and I don't know if sometimes how helpful that is. Um, sorry, Gene, if you're listening, but, you know, love you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> of course we love Uncle Gene. <laughs> if Gene is listening, like he, would even he has care, absolutely you know? nothing to do in his life. Yeah, if he's listening now, to this show. But he wrote a nice letter. He yeah. sent you guys a letter. That <laughs> no, you I went to his house to pick it up. Oh, you went to pick it up? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Waste yeah. We lived on Benedict right? Canyon. Yeah, no. It was, <laughs> he didn't even mail it? He wasn't even there, no. But I had to go there to pick it up. I don't know if you trust so the you mail. Got, it you was, got a it was, phone call. I was the courier that picked up my own letter. Like, who knows? Hold on, I need a second to process this. <laughs> this dude wouldn't even spend, a, what were stamps they back were 13, then? 13, 14, 14 cents <laughs> to mail you a letter or have somebody in, you know, come on, I know Kiss was kind of, you know, not, all right, what was this, Crazy Nights era? So, yeah, they were broke. Yeah. <laughs> but they could still afford a stamp. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. He sent you guys, okay, he. No, he wrote a letter. He wrote a letter. <laughs> And you had to go pick it up. Yes. Now, this was the, uh, well, okay. Here it goes. Yeah. I'm going to read this letter that Chris yeah. is so nice and Wait, gracious no. enough. You, you have to do it in your best Gene Simmons voice. <laughs> <laughs> this is radio. Come on. Don't let us down. All right. Dear guys, this is Gene Simmons from KISS. Yes, I listened and lived with the tape. And if you know me... You'll know I don't BS. Bluntly, the material just doesn't stand up. Yes, the singing has improved, but that wasn't my main concern. I didn't think of any of the tunes I heard from you guys is in any way workable. (laughs) In a strange way, thrash bands, who I think write the most god-awful stuff, have more potential because their appeal (laughs) doesn't depend on writing good songs. Yours does. So if you go to kissonline.com... No, I'm kidding. Okay, all right. <laughs> they didn't have the internet then. Don't know what to suggest except to say you've got everything going for you. Good looks, youth, basic, good playing ability, but terrible songs. I'm still interested. Come up with better songs or find them. Or find them. <laughs> Love Gene. Steal them. Best Gene Simmons from Kiss. <laughs> Oh, my God. So this is Gene saying, okay, 
so much in this I, I, I could just pick apart. <laughs> First off, I didn't know he hated thrash. That kind of surprises me, but whatever. I'll let that one go. And Simmons Records signed some questionable stuff. I'm not going to bring up any names, but come on now. He passed on you guys, but would sign... Say it. No, don't no. say it. No, don't say it. <laughs> you can make the comment online later. So was he courting you guys and wanting to do more? or uh... I think so, yeah. I mean, we were hanging out with those guys in black and blue. and But that was our first indication that, like, you know, they had a Geffen deal. They had all this mm-hmm. push, all this stuff behind them. Great guys, great mm-hmm. players. I liked their songs. Didn't seem to get off the ground. And... Uh, you know, I'm not saying that's Gene's fault, but right, right. you know, I don't know. It's 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 not like everything he touches turns to gold. No, it does it, not. If it's Kiss and it's merchandisable, right. it'll turn to platinum. I don't know. It'll right. turn something, but <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, a lot of people were interested. You know, we turned down a lot of deals. We turned down po- what ended up being Poison's deal from Enigmas before they were connected with Capital. So they were just this independent. We thought, well, geez, you know, if this early on we're getting these bites, you know, let's. Hold out for something else because it was a really crappy record deal, mm-hmm. and Poison made a lot out of it. They right. really did. You know, uh, sometimes you got to do that. You got to yeah. pull the trigger and say, you know, do you hold out and wait for the thing? It's but you guys like, were just so much cooler than uh, Poison. We we were a step ahead. Now we actually got to see them before they had CC mm-hmm. um, oh, wow. in the band, and you could tell there was our first trip to LA that they they had something going for them. They really did. And at street promotion, they were masters mm-hmm. at that. Oh my god, you just they painted the town poison, as Joey used to say. Wow. Gross. Anyway. <laughs> I kid, I kid. I, I love C.C. DeVille. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. <laughs> anyway. So, okay, the EP comes out, and you guys are uh, gigging around here. What was the final, uh, when did you guys finally decide to go to L.A. and said, okay, this is what we're doing. It's, you know, what was do the top or, you know, yeah. go big or go home. It was the next step. You know, we had recorded this uh, demo that became an EP. It did really well in, in 1986. In that summer, it went number one in England and Europe for weeks and weeks. Uh, it was at least in the top ten, beating out, beating out Poison. Yeah, and Kerrang. Beating uh, out Poison. Yes, that's awesome. Some other bands, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, that were hugely popular here in the States. So, you know, we had all this buzz. And uh, but since it didn't convert into a record deal in '86, mm-hmm. we were like, you know, either we got to record again or we got to get out to L.A. because mm-hmm. that's where it was happening. Sure. And they were handing out record deals on street corners. Absolutely. I mean, that, that part of that rumor is at least somewhat true. Right. Well, and, uh, yes. and then it was inevitable that we just, just to go that next step, we had to get back out. We'd already been there a few times, and it was just like, well, we got to go there and just immerse ourselves, be in that thing. But the great thing was in L.A., you can only play like maybe once a month because they didn't want you oversaturating. Plus, there were only so many clubs and they're all like a stone's throw from each other right. on the strip so we'd play that one show book the next one a month later hop in the truck and head back to dallas and, right. and play the play, old place play savvy's play right. basement play you know uh dallas wherever and uh and make money actually and then go back out there so we're still tight we didn't have to rehearse because we're playing every night got some money and then we're right. ready for the next show so we we really work both ends of it now, what was the final co- uh, nail in the coffin where it was like, okay, this, we're out here, this isn't working out, we're not getting any... Well, things work. happened really fast when we moved to <clears throat> L.A. In, in 87. There was already all this momentum, mm-hmm. you know, right. so we stepped into just, you know, selling out the whiskey, selling out the Roxy. I mean, it was just cool amazing. And uh, this, this promoter uh, company, uh, Alibi Artists, they were doing Jet Boy, uh, Faster Pussycat, Guns N' Roses, 
uh, before their, their album came out. They were the top promoter. So Whiskey, uh, Roxy, if you wanted to play their alibi, they were they were the tops. They were interested in us. Ricky Rackman was part of, uh, you know, from Headbangers right. uh, Ball fame. <laughs> Um, he uh, he was he was part of Alibi Artists. You know, he's, you know we signed to them, and, uh, and then Ricky and the other guy got in a fight and split or something. But it was it was really a good thing. But what happened was the other guy from Alibi Artists kind of coaxed Joey and Randy and saying, "Well, hey, we could do a side thing or do a you know solo project. You're better than these other guys. Leave them." I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's a time you know worn story that the band comes in and somebody tries to replace the bass player or change your look or mm-hmm. do something and we kind of fell to that uh, Joey went off and did his thing uh, pal Joey for the summer went and saw him at Gazzari's I mean it was, it was Joey and Randy I mean they, they were great it was half as he was at you know like why wouldn't I like him I just didn't like the fact that he quit the band to do it sure. a few months later he came back and this Mark II version was was even better I think we had picked up Walt Woodward uh, the third as a drummer he was in this band Americade before that and Shark Island mm-hmm. um, right before uh, you know he came in with us because he had lost his band that summer and we tried out singers and didn't work and yeah and Joey finally calls back and said look man you know, I made a mistake and, and we were just like oh no no we can't do this he'll just quit again and it's like no oh. and we rehearsed one time happy through the first song it's like oh my god this is like better than ever it was coming home and and, and we were you know our, our draw you know, the interest continued increased that's when we did the Tito thing after that uh, I don't know if it was just all those years on the road, and it was really hard living in L.A. I mean, it was, sure. you know, oh, it's fun, the Sunset Strip. It was, it was some tough living, you know. Uh, it was a lot easier here, uh, quality of life anyway, mm. competition. It was, it was just, you know, it was just a tough business in a tough town. And, you know, maybe, you know, by then we had been playing together for about probably 10 years since high school, on and oh, off, wow. you know, some version or another. I mean, it wasn't, this was, you know, we were old-timers by then or long-timers. And... Um, you know, it just it just kind of how it happened. I don't know if I really understood why, you know. I, I never wanted it to stop. Uh, but as it is, you know, that band ended in the 80s. The 80s ended, and right. with it, that whole music sure. thing. And, you know, I talk to my brother sometimes. He's like, you know what? You know, it's always going to be 1987 for Sweet Savage. We're always going to be 25 years old. We're always going to. You know, because we didn't get old because the band stopped. Right. <laughs> you know, anything that's about the band is that even though we went on to do other things individually, you know, sure. as musicians and other, other things in life. Um, so there, it's kind of a time capsule. It's kind of preserved. Uh, it's kind of pure to that era and that time and who we were in our 20s mm-hmm. then. And, uh, you know, with the passage of time, you know, I can look back. I was, it was just a great privilege to be in that band with my brother and my childhood friend for, for all those years. And, and to get to do what we, I'd never been to California before with a band. Joe had never seen the ocean. I mean, there was so many firsts and so many big things. Uh, it's just privilege of my life. On that note, we're going to do a couple public service announcements. That was beautiful, Chris. Thank you. I'm serious. Uh, two last uh, public service announcements, and we'll uh, wrap things up with Chris Sheridan and Sharif Kamal. It's Reckless Rock Radio on 89.3 KNON-FM. We're back with Chris Sheridan and Sharif Kamal. It's Reckless Rock Radio and 89.3 KNON-FM. All right, now, Chris, Savage breaks up. What do you do after that? Uh, you're, are you still in Los Angeles? And still in Los Angeles, okay. yeah. Uh, devastated. But, you know, the whole 80s scene, the whole strip scene, everything died in the 80s. So you didn't try to move on into, like, an I industrial band? I tried Borden and, nice. you know, some other things. But you know what? I That was the only band I'd really ever been in. And it was 
my brother, you know, growing mm-hmm. up, you know, so I didn't I want to be in somebody else's band. And I didn't really feel like starting over from scratch. And who would I get to sing anyway? Joey's always been my number one choice. So it was kind of hard to go from really your dream mm-hmm. growing up band for so many years to just jump into somebody else's thing and their habits and their mm-hmm. style and then be a, kind of a side guy. And uh, it was just hard. You know, so I kind of got out of it. I uh, was working in the film industry and uh, a little extra time. And uh, what were you oh, doing? With, are you, were you acting? No, it was, it was actually writing. Oh, nice. It was you know, it was a friend of the girl who did our clothes uh, was was involved in in Hollywood. He wrote this movie, Flight of the Navigator, and <laughs> he was a musician. He knew those guys in Black and Blues from Portland. compliance. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, I love that um, movie. It's so, yeah. great. <laughs> you know, so he's a musician. He's writing screenplays and stuff. I'm like, well, I'd give that a try. You know, I just wanted to kind of, do, and you're in Hollywood anyway, so try to do something different. And that wasn't it, because it's not as much fun, of course, sitting in a room with a typewriter. But um, but the office was right near the Santa Monica Airport, and I'd always wanted to learn how to fly. So I ended oh, up man. picking up flying. That's when no. really that happened was the post-Sweet Savage. It was my way of kind of getting away. No. You know, you climb above, you know, t- two or 3,000 feet above Los Angeles, and you're above the smog. I mean, it's a whole, no traffic. It's the whole nother world. <laughs> and it was, you know, and I'm alone. I'm flying a plane. It was, it was really kind of cool. It was a childhood dream, like I said. And, um, you know, of course, that ended up not working out to me in my first and only and hopefully last air show. Um, I got into some trouble. I was in over my head. I was an inexperienced pilot. You know, they say there's nothing more dangerous than a 100-hour pilot. And I think I had about 110 hours. And I got into trouble, got out in a stall I could not get out of, and I smacked the ground broke my back um been in a wheelchair ever since and you know that's something that you know again i wouldn't trade that experience either even though it didn't really work out you've got a documentary uh chronicling all this yeah yeah. it's fantastic it's on your youtube channel and i I posted that on the reckless page today as well it's great and uh you guys want to get more insight on that it's uh, very inspiring and yeah, it's funny. This way. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of famous musicians die in plane crashes, you know? And you I mean, just weren't famous enough. I was not famous enough, <laughs> but I was sort of famous. I mean, a wheelchair, that's, that's, I was semi famous because I got semi crushed. <laughs> you know, I didn't get complete. And, and, you know, and it was two weeks before my 27th birthday. Yeah. So the 27 Club, the guy, in a, you know, musician in a plane crash, could not kill me. So I'm still here. And, and, you know, We're glad you're here. <laughs> I am too. You know? and, and, you know, it was funny when I went back to, you know, playing. I knew I could play in the hospital. Somebody brought me a guitar. It's like, you right. know, I'm all like, my back laid out in tubes and everything. I'm like, plunk, plunk, plunk. And I'm like, you know what? I can still play. You know, it didn't affect my hands. So, uh, so I can still play. But I, I was like, you know, how am I going to play? And uh, my friend, uh, James Kotak. From Louisville, yeah. <laughs> Buster Scorpions Brown, and, uh, uh, what else was he? Uh, Kingdom Come before, Kingdom Come, that's before right. then, and um, you know, I ended up playing with him for a while in his band Kotak. Uh, his then wife, Tommy Lee's sister, mm-hmm. uh, Athena, was playing drums, and I'm like, "How am I going to rock out on stage?" You know, I, mean, I can't do that in my wheelchair. And then I looked at Kotak and his wife, and like, they're drummers; they sit the whole night. <laughs> they sit on a stool; they don't move. <laughs> so I joined this band. I got a drum thrown that ra- raises up, and I'm like, the guitar's not hitting the wheel, and I'm like, oh, okay, I can't go very far. But the funny thing was, our bass player at the time, Rev Jones uh, from Oklahoma, um, he had played with uh, Michael Shanker and you know a bunch of people. And, wow! And and he goes, dude, you move more than Shanker does. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, well, okay then. You know, <laughs> that's sort of a compliment. <laughs> Now, you did some comedy as well. I saw, I found an old clip of you on uh, some USA late night 
show uh, with Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing up the, all night. Yes, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I went to college too after um, you know after I broke my back and uh, you know way to way to restart, figure out what you're going to do with your life and some things like that. And yeah, comedy I thought was fun because you know, it was just you. But wow, and this really made me appreciate Joey a lot because what a comedian. I mean, on stage. One time at Savvy's, Randy broke his drum snare, and, and he didn't have a new head or a new uh, actual drum, so he had to replace the snare. Not the head, but the actual wires and stuff, and it took like 10 minutes, and you would not have known. Joey, yeah, you know, and the other day, we're walking down over here, and it was just nothing was rehearsed, fully off the cuff. He could talk and rap in between songs, and just, you keep the entertainment level going. There was no dead air, no empty spaces. You know, so I probably, in a way, learned some of the craft of stand-up comedy from stage left, watching Joey C. Jones <laughs> kill dead time while the drummer fixes his kit. You know, <laughs> and it's you just keep moving, you just keep talking, and he was such a natural. That I was a little more, you know, I had to come up with some jokes. You know, and uh, funny thing I found though, the, the, telling people that I broke my back, and because people want to know, oh, you know, your back was it a motorcycle, you know, a car wreck or something like that, and it's like. No, no, no. Oh, what? You know, it's a you know, disease. Are you born that way? It's like, no, no, no. It's a plane crash. Nobody, plane crash? <laughs> and you're just in a... That's it? That's all you've got? Like, if I would have slipped on a banana, they would have been like, oh, poor guy. Girls have been come over. They're going to buy me some drinks. You know, oh, that's so sad. You're in a wheelchair. Oh, poor guy. He's so cute. He's in a wheelchair. Oh, it's like, plane crash. Well, you should be buying me a drink. Well, you're so lucky. You got that. You just a scratch. You got off light, dude. No, you know, no sympathy, whatever. You know, I'm going to make up some other story and say it's doing right. the limbo or something. <laughs> and I won. But. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Chris, this has been too much fun. And uh, you'll be hanging with the uh, Celebration of Life this Saturday happening at the Loft. Celebration of Life for Joey C. Jones, our buddy we lost a few months back. Uh, that is open to the public. Again, the information will be shared on all of our social media pages. Chris, would you please come back and see us? Sharif, you too. And uh, when uh, when is season two of uh, 1883 kickoff? Uh, I'm not sure when we start filming it. I think it won't be until the summertime, like last time. So towards the end of the summer, hopefully. Because okay. most of it will be filmed at night. Yeah. Oh, okay. No say. spoilers. No spoilers. Oh, okay. That's all I can say. <laughs> Thank you guys for being here. Oh, and man. Thanks for having me. It's yeah. been thanks great. Thanks for to sharing it. stories about Joey Absolutely. and the band. I can talk about Joey. I'll, and I will for the rest of my life. You know, he's just such a so big part of it. Will you yeah. please yeah. come back and yeah. share Absolutely, it. yeah. When you get to be uh, playing in a new band, uh, please send us your new music, and we'd be happy to spend it since you are local. <laughs> all right. I'm local this again. is what we yeah. do. Gone native. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right, uh, Roulette Radio coming up next with Captain Kurt. This show will be archived, and we will be sharing the link on our social media pages as well. What are we going to go out with, Lee? You tell me. All right. We're jumping around. So jumping just... around. All right. Let's do <laughs> do some sw- uh, Savage on the way out, and then uh, we'll figure it out from she there. She got it all? Let's do that. Yes. All right.